Good morning, church. Um, so today's Bible reading is the entirety of John chapter 21. So that's the uh, last chapter of John. So I'll give you all a minute to just find that one. All right, John chapter 21, starting at verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realise it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish. 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumour spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Well, thank you, Josh. And hasn't it been good having the young adults involved and up the front? So good. Let's pray. Our Father... Uh, we come now to be fed by you. And even though this is a, a very old story, your spirit who made sure that this was preserved and written down for us is alive and igniting our hearts and minds and we pray that you'd speak through your words to us today and ignite our hearts and our minds to love you better and to follow you more closely in Jesus' name, amen. So today is Vision Sunday. 
What would it take for us to become the church God wants us to be? To answer that question, we need to hear from the risen Jesus himself. That is why I have jumped to the end of John's Gospel in chapter 21. It's a funny chapter, isn't it? It's hard to know exactly what to make of it, especially if you'd been reading right through the Gospel. Chapter 20 seems such a fitting conclusion to the Gospel. In chapter 20, Jesus is risen, he appears, he commissions his disciples, he convinces doubting Thomas that he's alive. Thomas worships him. And then John rounds it all off in the last verse of chapter 20 by saying, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Sounds like a conclusion. And then we have this extra bit, this story about 153 fish. I think, well, that's good. But why is it there? Aside from saying that it happened, why include it given that John then goes on to say, well, Jesus did many, many other things that weren't included and I suppose they could fill up all the books in the world. That begs the question, why include this story? And we wonder, we, we wonder, until the penny drops. And we go, ah, oh, yes. Chapter 21 deals with the two big outstanding issues, both of which are left unresolved and hanging at the end of chapter 20. Both have to do with Peter. The first issue is that after the resurrection, the disciples just weren't doing what Jesus wanted them to do. So after Jesus had risen, we're told in the previous chapter, Jesus appeared to his disciples. He gave them the authority of the gospel the authority to declare people's sins forgiven if they believe the news of Jesus, the authority to, to, to declare that people are not forgiven by God if they reject that news. Jesus gave them this authority. He breathed on them his spirit. The meaning was clear. He was commissioning them to go and preach the gospel, bring forgiveness to the nations. Now that he's died and risen to bring salvation to the world, they were to spread this news out. If you like, it's John's version of the Great Commission at the end of Matthew's gospel. And then comes chapter 21. And what are they doing? Fishing. At Peter's invitation. Fishing. They're meant to be fishing for men, and they're fishing instead for fish. And surprise, surprise, with all their experience as fishermen, guess what? They've caught exactly nothing. So the first outstanding issue is the disciples aren't doing what Jesus told them to do. And we think, well, why would Peter lead the others in not doing what Jesus told them to do? And the answer is the second outstanding issue, and that is Peter's crippling shame. Do you remember back to what happened on the night before Jesus died? Of Jesus telling his disciples he was going away, where they couldn't follow him, and then Peter protesting and saying, no, I will follow you wherever you go. I, I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus saying, oh, really? And he makes the prediction that before that very night's over, Peter's going to deny him three times. And remember how that's exactly what happened. Remember how early in the morning, when it was still dark, at the high priest's house, around the fire in the courtyard, how there he was questioned once, twice, three times, and how there Peter denied being a disciple of Jesus once, twice, three times. Can you imagine the shame that Peter would have felt for this? It's not hard to imagine, is it? We can all remember empty promises we've made. In the height of a moment, you can be filled with resolve and say, yes, I'll follow through, and then you don't. Let people down, people close to you, people depending on you people who matter to you. I hate letting people down. I can live with my own mistakes, you know, that impact me, but when my own mistakes impact other people badly, I find that very hard to live with. Can you remember a time like that? 
that deep sense of disappointment in yourself, the desire to want to wind back time and put it right, the sense of unworthiness that you carry. Can you remember how paralyzing that can be? By the time we get to chapter 21, Peter's shame at letting Jesus down is the big outstanding issue that hasn't been dealt with. It needs to be dealt with because how's Peter going to be Jesus' witness if he's paralyzed by shame? What good is it to anyone for each of us to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, when our own sense of inadequacy or our own sense of personal shame paralyzes us from doing what Jesus wants us to do? which stops us from stepping forward. This chapter is there to address this situation. It is Jesus' pastoral confrontation of Peter. And in it, we see how Jesus pastorally deals with issues of shame. And in it, we see how Jesus deals with reluctant disciples. And maybe, just maybe, there are outstanding issues of shame in your life so far as you and Jesus are concerned. Maybe that's the case. Maybe there's shame that paralyzes you from serving Jesus in the way you know he wants you to. Shame which stops you putting up your hand and saying, oh, and no, someone else should do it. If that's the case, listen. Because what follows is this beautiful scene where we see Jesus recreate the setting which will force Peter to stop avoiding and start confronting his shame. And then we see Jesus tackle the issue with Peter personally. But first of all, the setting. All right, the disciples are out in the boat. They've caught nothing. It's early morning, very early morning, mostly dark. Jesus is on the beach, though in the gloom, the disciples don't know that it's him. But Jesus knows who they are. And so he calls out to them. Now, given they're not doing what he told them to do, we might expect him, expect, uh, him to greet them with some harsh words. But he instead, he, he calls out to them with a term of affection. He says, friends, literally children, and he asks them if they've caught anything, and they say no. And he tells them to throw their net over the other side of the boat, and when they do, instantly the net becomes so full of fish they can't haul it in. So he's affectionate, he's miraculous, and by the time they make it back to the shore, he's got the fire going, and he's cooking them breakfast. He's serving them. Affectionate, miraculous, generous. This is Jesus to them. But now look at Peter. Peter shows all the marks of someone who's riddled with shame but wants to please to make amends. When John yells out from the boat, it's the Lord, Peter wraps his outer garment around him. He obviously feels the need to cover himself up, a bit like we remember Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden who want to cover up their shame, remember? Peter covers himself up and impetuously just jumps into the water. <laughs> He feels the need to hide his nakedness and yet he's, he's eager, he's over eager to please. What does that tell you? If you have a dog, you'll know how a dog behaves once the dog knows it's in disgrace. Tail between the legs, head down, looks at you with sad droopy doggy eyes and that dog will do anything that it can to regain your affection. That is the picture of Peter. When Jesus says to his disciples, send someone else back for some fish to cook, it's Peter who climbs aboard and single-handedly pulls the net ashore with 153 fish in it. That's a hard task. That's Peter, eager to cover himself up, eager to show his personal devotion to Jesus, eager to please and somehow earn Jesus' affection. And forgetting completely, that that's never the way with Jesus. With Jesus, it's grace. It's not works. But Peter's shame stops him seeing that. So what will Jesus do? Well, what Jesus does and what he has been doing is to recreate the scene which will force Peter 
to confront the issue that he's been avoiding. Do you remember the time of Peter's betrayal? Very early in the morning, just before the rooster crows. Do you notice the time that Jesus chooses to reveal himself to the disciples here? Very early in the morning, just before the sun has risen. It's exactly the same time of day. And remember the scene of Peter's betrayal. Peter there by the fire, warming himself. Well, Jesus intentionally lights a fire and he invites the disciples to come around. It's the same scene, give or take. And there around the fire, he feeds them with fish and loaves, just like he miraculously fed the 5,000. They can't help but be reminded of who Jesus is to them. They're gracious, generous, wonderful, risen Lord. And amidst their amazement and excitement as they're wanting to ask, is it really you? Jesus was teaching the disciples a lesson. See, Jesus had called them and commissioned them to be fishers of men, to catch people for the kingdom with the words of the gospel. Now, they had been disobedient, they'd been reluctant, and in their own fishing endeavors, they'd caught nothing. And Jesus has just proved to them that he is the fisherman of fishermen. He's caught 153 fish without even trying. What did they need to fear in being obedient to Jesus in becoming the fisherman he wanted them to be? Failure? Not on your life. Now, maybe they didn't grasp this in the wonder of the moment, but we can sense their excitement and their wonder at being around the fire with Jesus. Except, of course, for Peter, because we know that it would have been agony for Peter gathered there as he was with Jesus around a fire, just like the one in the courtyard of the high priest, just before dawn, when the rooster will crow. Those details would have been so strong they would have been etched into his memory. I mean, what do you think Peter thought of every time he heard a rooster crow every single morning after that moment? And no doubt you see all the feelings of shame over what he'd done were now beginning to flood back. Well, whatever feelings of discomfort Peter may have had, which he was trying to mask, Jesus brings them to the fore when he looks up after the meal and he looks Peter in the eye and he speaks directly to him and he addresses him in the same way he did when he first called Peter to follow him back in chapter one. Simon, son of John. My full name is Christopher. No one calls me that except my mum when I'm in trouble. If she used that term, Christopher, I knew it was serious, right? Well, here Jesus uses the name he used of Peter when he first called him to follow him. This is not accidental. He's remind, Jesus is reminding Peter that he once willingly followed Jesus, now he's reluctant. Simon, son of John, do you love me? more than these. Oh, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Yes, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. The third time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter's hurt because Jesus obviously felt he had to ask him three times. Why does Jesus ask Peter three times? Well, how many times did Peter betray Jesus? Three times. Jesus asks Peter three times whether he loves him, not to get payback, <laughs> not to stick the knife in, not because Jesus was unclear, but to make sure that Peter understands without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is forcing him to face up to his big cause of shame, his denial of Jesus once, twice, three times. You can imagine Peter just squirming where he sat. But did you notice Jesus' method? He doesn't blast Peter. He doesn't shout at him. He doesn't call him useless. He doesn't haul him over the coals. He doesn't say, how could you? 
His pastoral method is very gentle. He recreates the setting. He reminds Peter of his grace. And instead of accusing him directly, he asks Peter the question behind the issue. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter answers quickly. Simon, son of John, do do you love me? He's forcing Peter to reflect. Simon, son of John, do, do you love me? Now, by the third question, he can't, Peter can't avoid it. He knows that Jesus has confronted him with his denial. And so this time, Peter says, Lord, you know all things. I mean, his defenses are down. You know all things about me. You know my history. You know what I've done. And you know that I love you. And so to Peter, Jesus answers by saying, feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. He could have said out and out, Peter, you know, that issue of you denying me is behind us all now. Let's just forget it, move on. He could have, but he didn't need to. In the whole manner, Jesus has dealt with him, the the thought-out circumstances of his appearing, the affectionate greeting, the miraculous provision, the preparation of the fire, the invitation to a meal, the personal attention. Jesus has shown Simon Peter in lots of ways the past is dealt with. He has been washed clean. And if there was any doubt in Peter's mind that this was so, you know, it was more than met by Jesus' recommissioning of Peter because Jesus called Peter to be a shepherd change of metaphor, fisherman to shepherd. Shepherd was a role that Jesus himself had. And a shepherd not just of any flock, but of Jesus' own flock. Feed my lambs, my sheep, my lambs. Peter may have thought himself unworthy. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely he's unworthy. He probably thought that that ruled him out of serving Jesus. It didn't. So when Jesus said, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep, Jesus forces Peter to realize not just that he's forgiven, (laughs) not just that he's washed clean, but that he has a job to do. He's been reinstated. A job modeled on the Lord Jesus himself, the job of shepherding. Peter had seen this in Jesus. He'd seen it in how Jesus had treated people who'd been abused and thrown out and discarded by Israel's leaders, the shepherds of Israel. You know, they kicked out the man born blind in John chapter 9. They treated him appallingly. Whereas Jesus, if you remember, deliberately went out of his way to search for him, to find him, to care for him. Peter had been with Jesus when Jesus had done it. He'd seen what shepherding involves. Peter had heard Jesus' words, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd doesn't just sit there and want all the accolade. He lays down his life for the sheep. But the hired hand runs away and abandons the sheep when he sees the wolf coming. See, Peter had heard those words. And Peter would have known that he was the the hired hand who when he denied Jesus, he ran away. But now Jesus has shown him mercy and grace and called him to be for his people the very thing that Jesus was himself, a shepherd. A shepherd after Jesus who didn't run away but protected his flock by laying down his life. A shepherd like Jesus who had gone to Peter and sought him out and gently confronted him to bring him back. What an example to Peter Jesus was. Jesus said to Peter, Feed my sheep and follow me, follow me. And that's exactly what Peter did. Three decades later, the grisly end to Peter's life that Jesus predicted on the beach was about to come true. Peter, before he stretched out his hands and he himself was crucified upside down because he didn't want to dishonor the Lord by being crucified in the same way. He wrote to the churches 
of Jesus, and he called on church elders to be to their people what Jesus had been to him, a shepherd, 1 Peter 5. Not someone who flaunts their authority, but someone who gladly serves the flock. Not someone who looks to their own gain, but someone who sets an example. All these things Jesus, Peter directly learnt from Jesus. From seeing Jesus, how he dealt with others, you know, who needed shepherding, from being the stray who needed shepherding back himself. By the end of Peter's earthly life, there's every indication that Peter did exactly what Jesus asked of him on that beach. Why? Because even though there was this big issue of Peter denying Jesus between them, even though Peter was crippled through his shame, Jesus, the good shepherd, had been a shepherd to him. Jesus had pastored him. He hadn't lorded it over Peter. He gently, personally, confronted him in the context of grace. He'd restored him to be his disciples. What about you? What about you? Could it be that you have past issues in your life which are stopping you obeying Jesus' call to serve him in the kingdom of God? Shame can be immensely crippling, can't it? I hope you've heard today that Jesus doesn't want, want shame to let to stop you from serving him. But it's so easy to compare ourselves with others and think they're much better suited to service than I am. That's what Peter thought. Compared himself to John, the disciple Jesus loved. <laughs> they all knew it. The disciple who enjoyed that particularly close and intimate relationship with Jesus more so than Peter. Peter asked, what about him? Jesus said, even if I wanted him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? Mind your own business. You must follow me. You. In other words, he's saying, don't compare what Jesus is calling you to do with what Jesus is calling someone else to do. He's saying, each of you, look to yourself. Look to yourself. What is Jesus calling you to do? You. Not someone, you. You. The onus is on each of us to be obedient to Jesus as Jesus' disciple in the particular way, the plans that he has for each of us. He's saying, don't worry about the plans I might have for other people. You follow me. You follow me. And if there's any outstanding issues of sin in the past, if there's shame you find distracting or paralyzing friends, could it be that Jesus, the good shepherd, through his word and the power of his spirit is confronting you today and he's speaking directly into your life? Could it be that because of those feelings, you have settled for a job of recreational discipleship, that you are fishing for fish? Or could it be that by bringing you here this morning to hear this talk, by gathering you around the fire just before sunrise, he has recreated a setting because he thinks it's about time that you stopped avoiding him and faced up to what is between you. Because he wants you to be a different sort of fisherman, you see. That's the sort of fisherman he calls every disciple to be. A fisherman, not of fish, but of people. We have the gospel. It's the words through which someone can be declared forgiven. He wants us to share it so that we can literally pluck people who are otherwise hopeless and lost and helpless and spiritually dead, separated from God, he wants us to pluck them out and into his kingdom. Do you know, if you believe the good news, I just want to remind you, he has already forgiven you. And he has washed you clean. He has washed you clean. <clears throat> and that's why he's gracious to you, you see. But he still wants you to face up to the issue and I want you to put your name in, your own name, and hear Jesus' words. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you? Do you?
And he knows what your answer will be. And now I want you to hear his words. Follow me. Because he's the good shepherd. He's the Lord who calls you and pastors you and commissions you, commissions us to be his disciples. We cannot let, Jesus doesn't want us to let anything, not even our own shame, stop us from being fishers for men. That is our call. That is our mandate. That is who Jesus wants us to be. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the end of John's gospel that this chapter is here. We thank you that you speak to us through it. Our Father, thank you for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And thank you that through his death on the cross, he has totally washed us clean and now he is gentle with us. Personal. He knows, but yet he's washed us and he calls us to follow him even as we love him. Father, we do. We do love him. Help us to follow. Amen. After such a <clears throat> sorry about that. After a deep and personal message, I think it's a brilliant time to really look into ourselves and reflect. So let's hear Jesus' words one more time. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will lead you where you do not want to go. Follow me. As we come into a time of personal reflection and prayer, be guided by a couple of questions. The first of which is how has God encouraged you today in your service of Jesus? So please spend a moment giving thanks personally in private reflection. I'll give you a couple of minutes. What encouragement today's passage is for us as we turn to service of our Lord. Uh, we now finish our time of reflection with a final question, looking at what could following Jesus look like for you in 2023? Please pray. So don't let the reflection stop here, be it something that you pray in your hearts and your minds over the coming weeks and months. But for now, I'll invite up Angie or Chris for leadership team and finances. Chris it is. Thank you. Shift gear, okay. Um, some of you will have this uh, Vision Sunday um, sheet. If you haven't, and Maybe someone could just check if they're at the back and just stick up your hand and there may be some more available. Okay, uh, we had a vision night on September the 10th where for an hour we discussed what I'm going to do in five minutes. Okay, so you'll have questions that come up after this. Um, come and see me. Okay, I want you to imagine our church not too far down the track. 
three years. I want you to imagine a church where there's an increasing confidence to invite people to church because quite simply, it is just a great place to be. People serve alongside one another willingly. There's a, a freedom to use your gifts. There's a collective sense of responsibility for our life together. Newcomers are welcomed and, and friendships are made. There's an openness to form more friendships amongst the people there. Our kids and youth have grown in number and thriving. They're not just inviting their friends to come, but their friends are staying and they're not just staying, they're actually becoming Christians over the course of the year and committing their life to Christ. Our church has become a hub for youth and young adults and people look forward to meeting together in their growth groups each week. It's a highlight, you know, you wouldn't miss it. There's a desire not to miss your growth group. Okay, most of all, you know, there's a palpable love for God. There is a desire, an eagerness to hear from him. There's a desire to meet with him in the, and with one another, um, his people in the fellowship of the spirit. That we really do want to magnify Christ as Lord. Church is a great place. Uh, it's not perfect, of course. No human gathering is, or, and you know, we're, we're people, aren't we? We're imperfect people, but there is grace and there's joy and forgiveness which marks our fellowship together. Church feels like a safe and a really good place to be. We wanna be together and we miss one another when we're not. When we go away on holidays, it's kind of, oh, I wish I could be at church, you know, because you're missing it so much. And when you come, there is a sense of what Christ is doing in your midst and church is great. Could we be dreaming? No. I don't think so. Um, with God's kindness, okay, we're well on our way. I wanna say I love church, I love, I love this group of people, and uh, it's a privilege, it's, it's a humble privilege to be pastor. I feel so inadequate and like I don't do the job anywhere near as well enough as I could or need to, but by God's grace, you know, <laughs> you know I'm used. And, um, you know, you just think about what God has been doing amongst us this year. Our, our existing ministries have continued. These are the foundation bedrocks. Our youth ministries have been strengthened. This was one of our key planks from last year's vision. So this year, what's happened? Blast Youth Group has restarted again after, I don't know, two or three years in recess. Our teen talk has restarted. Mainly music has restarted. Um, leaders are being trained. Um, we, we sent a, a team to help a church in Alice Springs. We, we forged that partnership with Bush Church Aid, which again was a plank last year. There have been some real high points in the year. Um, we can just remember back to some of those photos. Um, but, now, <laughs> okay, it's, I just wanna say, it's so easy to mishear probably what I'm about to say. So I'm, I just wanna say I'm not dumping on anyone and I'm not being, I don't wanna be critical or harsh or whatever. I just, I think that there are, if we were to look honestly, just, and this is what the leadership team have been grappling with and probably you know, there are some signs of ill health, um, which again, we had more time to go into on September 10th. But, um, and these are predictable, like we're not the only church to have gone through, to have these, after going through three years of COVID, which has really put a handbrake on things. So when you think about it, in 2020, we all experienced the lockdowns, church online, keep COVID at bay. In 2021, we met, but under restrictions, can't sing, etc. have to wear masks, have to stand, sit, stand apart, um, don't meet in home groups, all that sort of stuff. This year in 2022, it's been the year of living with home with COVID, which means you know it's wiped out families, people, you know, for weeks on end. And uh, what that has meant is that it's had an impact, and we are no longer as healthy as we used to be. I'm not saying physically healthy here; it's spiritually healthy and relationally healthy. The leadership team have been working through issues of church health. We, we're rejoicing in what's good, but wrestling with how do we address the issues through which we need to grow, um, and there are some symptoms. Okay, so let me talk about three symptoms. The New Testament pattern is for Christians to keep meeting regularly without giving up, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. The reality is if you, we mark a role every week, right? So. But to, to, do, to be pastorally caring. But if you compare it over the last three years, it's dropped in attendance. It's not that we have 
lot less people, it's that people are coming less regularly, okay? So regularity of attendance has dropped. So people are coming one in two rather than seven in eight. That's an issue. Secondly, God's vision of a healthy church body is a church where, whose parts actively contribute in serving one another. And I wanna say, I, I do see this, I'm extremely thankful, you know, fantastic. It's happening, but there are also signs of ill health where people are saying, no, no, can't do it, can't do it, can't do it, and giving no explanation, which didn't used to happen. So people, it seems like, just there's a general trend of, and it's not for everyone, but people being less eager to serve and get involved. Now, of course, you can understand that because we got used to watching things online, right? Finally, even though we're meant to genuinely love one another, the reality is that there are people, and we talk to them, and, and people feel lonely. And they feel like they haven't got enough friends, and they feel a bit disconnected relationally. Okay, so they are three signs, I think, of ill health, and I think we need to own them and think, well, what do we do about them? Clearly, I think they are barriers to growth. So if we're thinking, how do we grow? We've got to address that. And I think the point is we just can't stay the same. We can't keep doing things as we were doing. Something's got to give. We've got to have a solution. And this was uh, one solution was put to the congregation on Vision Night on September the 10th. We need a solution which will reverse the decline and increase regularity of attendance. We need a solution which will cross, foster a ministry heart of serving. We need a solution which will create relationships of fellowship and mutual care. Um, the leadership team, we've tossed this around. We think the obvious and one necessary step to focus on in the new year, and we could do lots of things, right? We, we could ramp up in lots of different ways, but we think we've got to actually address these signs of ill health. So the one thing we think we could do to, to address them and position ourselves is to totally rebuild our ministry teams from the ground up. So Christ enables his body to grow and build itself in love as each person does its work, Ephesians chapter four, and we want to take what's already good, because there is good, right? But we want to build stronger ministry teams. Now, this is where people use their gifts in, a wider, in the wider body with focus. And so some teams exist because they've always existed and maybe they've lost clarity. We want to regain clarity. We want to have teams where there's rich relationship and fellowship where there's a team leader who takes responsibility for the team and you have fellowship there. How are you going? How was your week? Quickly, let's pray about that. There's actually fellowship. Relationships are, are deepened. And we also want um, teams which collectively take ownership where it's not just up to one person maybe on a PCO roster to do something, but the whole team actually says, no, it's our job. We've got to run music or you know, we've got to run set set up and if someone can't do it in the team, guess what, we're, it's our job, we've got to make it happen. The office isn't making it happen anymore, we're making it happen. So we're gonna to move to that and this will create relationships of fellowship and mutual care. Of course, relationships can be built outside of these but we think this is one really key thing to focus on and we're excited about the direction of this, uh, we think it will actually yield dividends. It's not rocket science, it's actually how churches have been run normally. <laughs> and uh, we're going back to that. Our old system of rostering, if you like, the planning center online, get an email, hit decline or accept, that can only work assuming that the teams are there and functioning well, so that if someone hits decline, someone else will readily step in. We're actually not gonna roster that way anymore from next year, we're just gonna have the teams taking responsibility. Now, that's the vision of where we're getting to. We're gonna step off the plank very soon into mud. So there will be a, a little bit of um, teething problems probably in the new year as we get the teams up and functioning. That's okay, we can handle it. We wanna get somewhere. And um, that's effectively what I'm putting to you as the thing that we ought to do. I'm gonna ask Angie to come up and Angie's gonna take us through some finance stuff, but I realize there's a thousand questions you'll now have, so just pepper me with your questions afterwards or hit the leadership team too, thanks. Morning everybody. Um, I'm just talking today about um, our finances 
Um, we're going to talk about how we've been traveling this year. And um, thank you, son. <laughs> Not quite. Uh, talk about income and how we've been traveling and also uh, how we're going to go forward next year. So we've got a graph on the income slide. Um, I could show you all a whole budget with lots of lines, and I was just trying to make it simple in some way. So if you have more questions, do come and ask me, but hopefully this will help. Our income average, our monthly income, is about 27 and uh, 0.7 thousand a month. Um, this has been similar to what we have been doing in 2021, um, and our current monthly expenses average about 25.3. So we're actually traveling above our budget, and we're very thankful for that. Um, one of the reasons why we've been traveling above our budget is the absence of an associate pastor. However, Moss has actually stepped up in her role to do some of what uh, the associate pastor would have done if we had one. So we've also increased and made sure that Moss is continued to be paid for her higher duties. The next graph that I have is in relation to the expenses, and this hopefully will help um, tell you what's been happening in 21, what's happened in 22, and how we are looking in 2023. Um, for 2023, the network has approved our budget for our expenses to be about 29,000 a month. This is about a 5% increase or 1,400 a month across the congregation. So we do think that this would be um, helpful and an achievable budget. So we'll commend that to you for your prayers and planning for 2023. And over the next couple of weeks, I believe there will be a form for you to update us on your giving position for 23. Um, it would be helpful to be confident in knowing that we can operate under the new budget, so your feedback would be welcomed. As I said, this is a very, very quick summary. If you have any more questions and you would like more details, please do ask. I'm very happy to provide that to you. Um, talking about the associate pastor, I thought we'll just um, continue to let you know that we are still looking for the associate pastor, and we've just got to believe that God in his time will provide us with the right person. So please pray. Um, leadership team. Um, and today we've talked about building our ministry teams in, as part of growing our vision. And I thought that this is also an opportunistic time to remind everyone out there that our leadership team plays an important role to ensure the good governance in running of the church. It represents our congregation and supports Chris in his role as senior pastor of our church, all to enable us to have this strategic vision uh, going forward. Currently, the team consists of Greg Marshall. I think Greg's here today. Greg's right at the back. If people want to want to stand up, Greg, I thought I'll... <laughs> yeah, this is... uh, Richard Salmon, who's also at the back, and um, Michelle Wynn and myself. Um, most of us have been on this team for more than three years now. Uh, Michelle, sadly, is stepping down at the end of this year as she takes a bigger role with Scouts next year. When I first approached Michelle to join the team, she did advise me that this could be a possibility in three years' time that she may not have the um, capacity to continue on. Um, this has now eventuated, sadly. Michelle is unable to join us today. She's actually receiving an award from the Governor of, the South, of South Australia for her services to Scouts. Maybe one day she could get one for her services to TCA too. <laughs> um, so we are also very conscious, I guess, in, as a leadership team about the importance of succession planning and bringing new people on board because I think it's really important to refresh the thinking and the representation of our church. So can I continue to ask again if you could continue to have conversations with Greg, Richard, Michelle, or my, Chris, or myself, about the role on this team, and explore with us what you can bring to this team. So, and also join your home groups and pray about it, and uh, step up, that would be really good. 
Most importantly, keep trusting God. He will always provide. Thank you. Thank you, Andrea and Chris. Thanks so much for ev to, to everyone for joining us today in fellowship. Please stick around after the service for a cuppa, some delicious morning tea, and of course, our Vision Sunday lunch. I'm going to hand over to the band now. We've, we've got prayers. Oh, we're going to pray. We will, be, we, we will come back to that in just a moment. For now, we're going to join together in a time of prayer. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we praise and thank you for Jesus who confronted Peter with love and grace and tenderly encouraged him to continue being a part of the work that he was doing to call people to himself. We know that like Peter, we are saved by grace alone through the gift of faith, yet you have good works prepared for each of us. And we thank you for including us in your kingdom work, knowing that we are all flawed sinners. On this Vision Sunday, we particularly thank you for your church here in, at Allgate and praise you for the abundant goodness and kindness you have shown to us over the past year. Lord, you have guided and sustained many ministry areas and we are so thankful for every person who has served or contributed in any way throughout the past year. We know this is done through your strength alone. We thank you for our regular Sunday services the Hilltop Praise Nights and our weekend together. Thank you also for our wonderful minis, blast and basement programs. By your grace, these ministries have flourished with our young people being supported and encouraged to read their Bible, grow in their love for you and build relationships with each other. We are also particularly thankful for the many growth groups that have been meeting this year and pray that they would continue to be a place where we can come together to study your word, encourage one another and support each other as we seek to trust in you through the good times and the challenging times in our lives. We praise you, Lord, for the opportunities we have to share the gospel in the hills and connect with those in our immediate community. Thank you for mainly music, the women's outcare nights and the recent trip to Alice Springs um, and also our upcoming carols. Help us, Lord, to be obedient and faithful with these opportunities. And we ask your guiding hand would be over all the planning that's currently happening and that we would clearly proclaim the good news of the gospel, that Christ the Saviour has come. As we look ahead to next year, Lord, we ask and pray that you would guide Chris, Moz and the leadership team as they make their plans. Grant them much wisdom and insight. We pray that you would strengthen and unite us all as a church congregation so that we might be increasingly effective as we seek to love and serve and share the good news with others in our community. And finally, Lord, we ask you for your forgiveness if we've given ourselves to recreational fishing instead of fishing for people. I pray that each one of us here would follow the example of Jesus and his call to action. I pray that we would be a church of people who confidently share the good news of the gospel with people, not ashamed or afraid, Help us to live lives that display your glory and your transformative love in everything we do. Amen. What an encouraging service this has been. Um, let us stand and sing together uh, our last song uh, as we are reminded. Um, of who God is and what he's done for us. You, my God, have saved my soul. I am yours forevermore. I won't be moved of this unsure.
sorry guys you gave to me the breath of life you brought me up out from the grave i'm bursting out with songs of praise what once was dead is now joining us this Sunday and yes do do give a round of applause to the band yes amazing I I'm a big fan of I, I like Josh being up there the average lower octave is very helpful to myself um, personally so I, I agree with Chris I love coming here I love seeing you guys and so I do hope to see you next week uh, when we get into Revelation chapters 1 to 5 the lion and the lamb uh, David Wright from BCSA, brilliant name I'd say, is going to come in and kick the series off for us. So yes, I, I encourage to, for you to come and I'm happy if you were there. So as I send you off, please hear these words. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord in the name of Christ, amen. Just, just before we head out, we'll just say a quick grace together before our Vision Sunday lunch. So please pray with me. Dear Father, thank you that you are a loving God who provides for his children and longs to welcome us back when we deny you. Thank you for the food we are about to receive and please bless it to our bodies as we go out to serve you in our daily lives. Amen. Amen.